Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for hanging with us. I appreciate it. We begin today with a conversation about the role of city government in the arts. The quasi-public city agency known as BOPA, the Baltimore Office of Promotion in the Arts, came under fire a couple of weeks ago when it was announced that it was canceling the annual Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Day Parade. It's an event that had been canceled for the past two years because of COVID. When BOPA issued a press release announcing the parade's cancellation less than two weeks from MLK Day, Representative Kwesi Mfume issued a statement calling the decision disrespectful and disgraceful. BOPA issued what it called a clarifying statement that seemed to put blame for the decision on the mayor's office. Within hours, Mayor Scott was calling for the resignation of BOPA's director, Donna Drew Sawyer, threatening to withhold city funding if she didn't leave. She did leave a few days later, and the parade did take place on Monday. There are people who know whether or not the decision to cancel the parade emanated from the mayor's office or from BOPA or from a combination of the two, but the ones who know are not talking about it. So today on Midday, we're not going to rehash what happened with the parade, but I do want to talk about the role that BOPA has played and should play in the artistic life of our city. Should promoting the city and serving as an arts council to advocate for creative artists be functions that are combined within one organization? When it comes to events like Artscape and the Baltimore Book Festival, two of the events that BOPA has traditionally produced, how important are they to the cultural life of the city. My guests are three arts advocates who have worked to advance the cause of arts in Baltimore for years. Jeannie Howe is the executive director of the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance. Jeannie, good to see you. Tom, hi. Maggie Viegas is the director of BCAN, the Baltimore Creative Acceleration Network. Hey, Maggie, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And Navasha Daya is an acclaimed singer and the founder of the Youth Resiliency Institute. Navasha? Welcome back. Peace and love. And listeners, you are welcome to join us as well. What do you think about Artscape and the Baltimore Book Festival and BOPA in general and what the city should and could be doing for the creative community? Our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org, and you can tweet us at midday. WIPR. So Maggie, let me start with you Ask uh, and ask you to explain what BCAN is. So what do you do? You and I have known each other for a long time. You, you're a theater artist. You and I worked together back in the day when I was in show business. And um, But tell us what BCAN is and how, you, how it fits into the artistic thread of the city. Absolutely. So BCAN, or the Baltimore Creatives Acceleration Network, was launched in 2017. And our function is really to support creatives in owning their genius in building mindful creative enterprises that can shape our future, not only as our as a city, but also as a world. We provide business development support to creatives in the form of business accelerator programs through our Scale Your Passion initiative, as well as creative coaching services, which we'll be launching later this year in 2020. 23. Um, and we also do advocacy work uh, to really just ensure that creatives have a seat at the table in self-defining what the future of creative work in Baltimore looks like. Terrific. And Navasha Daya, the Youth Resiliency Institute, um, you've been doing that for 
quite a while now working with kids over in Cherry Hill. Tell us about that. So the Youth Resilience Institute, co-founded by myself and my husband, Fanon Hill, and two um, youth that were in foster care at the time, um, we've been in um, operating as the Youth Resilience Institute since 2010, and um, we're citywide. Our anchor location is Cherry Hill, and we also have programming in Ohio as well, East Cleveland and Cleveland, Ohio, um, where Fanon and I both are from. Because um, that's important, you know, to give back to, from where you're from as well as where you are. And so um, our organization is a community arts organization. We um, work to um, encourage the authentic self of young children, youth, families, and elders. We have programming ranging from youth activities to elder activities, to working with the whole family. We incorporate advocacy, um, culture, and um, just different activities to respond to the needs of the community. So our, arts, our organization is an arts organization that has regular programming and then programming that erects based upon the need of the community. Um, we also partner with a lot of different organizations around the city um, and we have nationwide you know, connections and, and worldwide um, partners as well as it relates to um, equity and culture and things like that. So we've been in existence since 2010 and we just you know, love Baltimore. Yeah, and you're doing great work. And uh, Jeannie Howe, the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance, kind of a network of creative folks here in town. Tell us about the work that you all are doing. Thanks, Tom. Our mission is to create equity and opportunity in, through, and for arts and culture. And we are a leading supplier of uh, services and programs for artists and arts organizations. We really believe that from the tiniest, most grassroots to the institutional, um, all are, all the work of artists and cultural organizations are extremely important to the health, well, health and well-being of our community and also uh, make an important contribution to the finances of a community as well. So we do that through a number of signature programs. We do uh, a lot of marketing for small organizations. We also have a program called Urban Arts Leadership that helps support emerging and rising artists, excuse me, um, administrators of color, so really supporting a leadership network. And we're also home to the Baker Artist Portfolios. So Baker Artist Portfolios are an online instrument to be able to see amazing creative work across the region every year, 600 to 1,000 artists in every discipline. So I encourage everybody to take a look at that and for artists to sign up. Yeah, that's a website that's a, a must-visit. Um, and uh, Navasha and Maggie, you guys both served on the mayor's, Mayor Scott's transition team mm -hmm. uh, after his election in 2020. Uh, and you were two signatories on uh, a letter that was sent recently to the mayor um, expressing some 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 problems, some concerns. Navasha, what are, are your concerns as it relates to what Mayor Scott has or hasn't done in terms of uh, the some of the recommendations that you all made back in 2020? Well, we, the group was really, um, it was a really great group. We had great meetings. Um, I did, I'm not a signature of the letter, actually. Um, oh, I wanted, me. no, okay. no problem. Maggie, you signed it, right? Yeah, okay. and, uh -huh. and I, um, I felt, you know, more conversation was needed. And, um, and so um, as far as how I feel about Mayor Scott, his him and his administration, from my experience, has really been supportive, specifically of communities that are disinvested through arts and culture. So that's my experience with Mayor Scott and his staff. Um, however, you know, with the letter and anything, any criticism, I feel there's more conversation needed for, mm -hmm. for me to sign. Yes. And Maggie, where do you stand in that regard? I definitely... You know, I did sign the letter and really the critique was more so around not wanting to feed further dysfunction and distrust within our cultural community. I think that our cultural community is a great strength. Artists are a great strength in our city. And while the mayor had these recommendations in hand for 
uh, two years at this point, um, we felt that, or a group of us felt that the very reactionary um, implementation with the firings and all of that could further um, create more disruption within our cultural community. And I felt like more conversation, I'm in agreement completely with Navasha, more conversation and intention uh, could have been um, more proactive as well in terms of how that rolled out. That being said, I, you know, I think that with any situation, uh, when these things come to light, I think it's also a space in which we can come together and uh, organize as a cultural community to really, again, self-define what it looks like in the future um, of our arts infrastructure for Baltimore. And Jeannie Howe, um, the, the, one of the recommendations and a sort of overarching recommendation of the transition uh, committee was to reimagine Baltimore's Arts Council. So BOPA, the Baltimore Office of Promotion in the Arts, uh, a little history here. Uh, its predecessor was a group called MACAC, or some folks pronounce it MACAC, M-C-A-C, the Mayor's Committee on Art and Culture. Um, and so uh, they produced Artscape. They did uh, various other uh, functions. Um, but how, how could, how should, in your view, BOPA, uh, which is the successor to the Mayor's Committee on Art and Culture, um, be reorganized uh, and refocused uh, to do, I mean, should they be doing things differently than they're doing? Should they be doing exactly what they're doing, but do it better? I mean, where do you stand when it comes to BOPA's role? Thanks, Tom, and thank you for bringing up the history. I think another important factor to that is that MACAC was actually a separate agency from the Office of Promotions, and it was under Martin O'Malley's administration that those two agencies were actually merged, and that became the Baltimore Office of Promotion and the Arts. So, um, you know, we are, I think you'll hear in unity, those of us who are leaders in the arts community about really wanting a strategy, really implementing a strategy. We've had great um, opportunities to talk about what that would look like, a number of commissions on different things like the Confederate monuments, and most recently, the work that the wonderful transition team did. Um, but I think going back to the history, it's time, this is not a new conversation um, about the uh, inherent or possible conflict of interest between those specific goals. And it's time for us to revisit that conversation about strategy and whether or not those two objectives separate might be stronger and more uh, efficacious for the city were that to happen. Um, and I think that's really um, not to speak for the transition team, but I think that goes to the heart of what folks are, are asking for is and looking for is to be a part of building that strategy. Mm -hmm. There's a sculptor and arts advocate named Marianne Mears, whom all of you know, I'm sure, and um, she's been active in the arts community here for for decades, um, and she wrote a letter to some members of the city council and to Mayor Scott um, suggesting that these two functions, the arts council function of BOPA and the promotion function of BOPA, be separate, that they should go back to being separate entities the way they were um, prior to the creation of BOPA. Um, how does that suggestion strike you, Navasha? I mean, do you think there is uh, any inherent conflict between an organization that's supposed to help individual creatives and, and, and organizations as well as, you know, be a promotional tool for the city. Right. Thank you. Um, I feel like this is an opportunity, an inflection point for arts and culture in Baltimore. And um, for me, when I look at the Maryland State Arts Council, who is the funder of them, of BOPA being the Arts Council of Baltimore, Maryland State Arts Council just gets money out. 
And they're very good at that. You know, like I remember the re, um, reiteration of the um, former executive director, and now we have the new executive director, and their team really looking around Maryland saying, how can we fund you? I mean, they, they found our organization. We weren't um, in the funding flow at, at one point. They engaged us, and we got into the funding flow. They were really working on being equitable, getting money out to people. It's not easy to do that and try to raise money for your own organization and produce things. It, it takes a very special personality to be that compassionate, to be able to keep those lines separate. It's a very difficult thing to be a giver and receiver in a sense of, of your job. And so I feel that, you know, there is an opportunity to see if that would work better in regards to making sure that the arts community is engaged with getting opportunities out, getting things out to people versus the um, job of having to make sure your organization is relevant as an arts organization to receive funding, to produce things and promote things. That is something that is to be considered. And that did come up in our um, in our meetings with the transition team. And as a person who's been with BOPA, worked with BOPA since the 90s even, and when the time when Randy Vega was there, who we all love and miss, I love her. Um, she's, she's awesome. Um, it, you know, you see the transition from when they used to do um, artists in residence to when that shifted. A lot of things shifted because of the nature of the organization is not a official government organization. It's really a nonprofit that has a connection and relationship through time and relationships and conversations. And so it's just something to be considered in regards to, I use this word other meetings, to conflict of interest of sorts, where you have to make sure that your interest of maintaining yourself versus the interest of assisting others is really balanced. And that's where the conversation is really important to have to make sure that that is really imbalanced. And that's what we're talking about and concerned about. Yeah. And Maggie, you actually, back in the day, you actually worked for BOPA for a little bit now. It's changed tremendously in the since the time that you worked there. But um, the city uh, most recently, I think, gave BOPA about $2.5 million to do their various uh, activities. And the city council uh, had a pretty contentious meeting with Donna Drew Sawyer, who's now the, the erstwhile director of BOPA, uh, about the fact that, you know, this money had been given to them, but they didn't actually produce the events because things were canceled because of COVID and for other reasons, stuff like Artscape. Um, but this this notion that BOPA has to raise the rest of their money, which is what arts organizations are doing, too. I mean, I've heard uh, complaints over the years, and I've been around, you know, forever. I've been here for 40 years, um, that, that it drains money from the philanthropic uh, economy for the arts. Um, what's your take on that? In other words... Um, you know, the, the group I used to run called the Baltimore Choral Arts Society or the Baltimore Symphony or the Arena Players would have to go to, you know, ask people for money and they'd say, no, we just gave money to the mayor. <laughs> you know, we can't we, we don't have any more left for you. Um, did, have you heard that story as well? It's definitely a theme and speaks to some of the conflicts that Navasha was alluding to earlier. I, I definitely, I think it's complicated. Um, the reality is that the level of investment that the city has provided for the arts via BOPA was not enough to cover the costs of the scope of work that they were outlined to do. Um, and that is something that presents a challenge. It's I, I think it is the root of why BOPA exists as multiple 501c3s. Um, and 
and in order to be able to raise additional funding to cover those costs uh, from outside sources, I think that that can create a lot. Again, it takes a very special person, a very a person of high integrity, to be able to navigate that uh, and lead and bring people together around it, uh, because it can very easily go left, especially if there is not public accountability over that organization, its budget, uh, and holding um, and holding it accountable to its outcomes. Uh, and defining what its goals are. And that is something that is, again, it's just very complex. Um, I, I know as a, as a staffer, as a person that was on the ground uh, working on the Arts Council side of things, uh, working on community projects, uh, we were all hands on deck on the festivals uh, for every artscape and then eventually... Um, of course, uh, Light City, when that came around, that was a big undertaking at the time. And it became very difficult to balance the workload um, and to be able to service uh, service the folks that we were doing grants to, service the communities that we were working with, and also balance the workload of actually executing these very high-level festivals that we were doing. Uh, so I, the struggle was real for the, for the actual staff members on the ground within that framework. Um, and, I, and that is why we... We, as a transition team, were also bringing those lived experiences to, uh, to to bear in our recommendations to say that there is a moment in which we can reimagine what this could look like. Um, what does it look like for that shared infrastructure to still exist? Potentially, does it need to separate out? Um, what kind of leadership would be required or accountability mechanisms be required? How are artists and residents of the city um, prioritized uh, in how that leadership uh, is framed? Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, we don't have all the answers. No one of us has the answer. And that's why it's so important for us to organize as a cultural sector to really define what we want to see our infrastructure look like in the future for Baltimore. That's Maggie Viega. She is the director of BCAN, the Baltimore Creative Acceleration Network. Jeannie Howes, the executive director of the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance. Navasha Daya is an acclaimed singer and the founder of the Youth Resiliency Institute. We're going to go out with some music by Navasha Vasha Daya, the liberation song, and we will have more about the role of the city in the arts after a quick break. You're welcome to join us at 410-662-8780 or email midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. I've seen the red sun in the autumn and I to golden brown I've seen the red sun in the autumn and I've seen the leaves turn to golden brown I see the red blood of my This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, a new documentary explores the use of tax incentives to entice developers to do projects in Baltimore. Jane Miller, formerly of WBAL-TV, Stephen Janis, and Taya Graham of the Real News Network join me to talk about a new documentary film that they've made called Tax Broke. So that's happening tomorrow. If you've just joined us today... 
We're talking about the role that the Baltimore Office of Promotion and the Arts has played in the cultural life of our city and how that role might change moving forward. Maggie Viegas is the director of BCAN, the Baltimore Creative Acceleration Network. Navasha Dea is a terrific singer whose name I've been mispronouncing for like 10 years. I've been calling her Dea and it ain't Dea, it's Dea, Navasha Dea, a terrific singer and the founder of, co-founder of the Youth Resiliency Institute. And Jeannie Howe is the executive director of the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance. What do you think? about the role of organizations like BOPA, 410-662-8780, or email midday at WIPR.org. You can tweet us at Midday WIPR. So Jeannie Howe, Artscape is, you know, certainly the highest profile thing that BOPA did. They produced Artscape, this festival in July, rain or shine. Lots of times it was rain. Lots of times there was a lot of shine. It was really hot. They have, uh, at the moment, uh, made plans to delay it to September, uh, partially because the weather might be better, etc. Um, we don't know whether it'll take place this year or not, but um, is Artscape, as an event, good for local artists? So, um, I'm glad, glad you asked that question, too, because in terms of the festivals, I don't think anybody's suggesting that we just sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater in this. Um, and there, that investment of the city in the festivals and events is really critical, and we need to keep an eye on what happens with that money and that we don't start talking about dismantling things and taking away money without really thinking about how that happens. Um, it, it, what I have heard, Tom, from artists, and um, some of my colleagues may confirm this, is that uh, there have hasn't been as much opportunity for local artists and that participation for some people can be quite expensive um, when they're nonprofit organizations. And so I would hope that moving forward for all of these events, that that be put very high on the strategy part. You know, the arts, arts and culture sector is a $606 million industry in Baltimore City alone. Um, they make a tremendous impact. We're not asking for handouts or for be nice. And this is not something outside. It's something that really contributes to events that attract and and uh, beyond Artscape that attract um, people to the city and make people want to stay here. Um, and those artists are also parents and PTA members and contribute on their personal level too. So um, I think this is, again, an opportunity for us to really examine the depth of which um, artists can participate in the planning and execution of Artscape. And Navasha, the, with your uh, organization, the Youth Resiliency Institute, you do a bunch of events mm -hmm. because events are important. It I is. mean, they bring people together. They mm -hmm. make people feel good. Mm -hmm. um, we have enough reasons to feel, you know, disconcerted <laughs> and bad about what's happening in our city. Mm -hmm. So these events can be really important. I mean, Artscape was this thing. They called it the largest outdoor arts festival in the United States. Mm -hmm. I have no idea whether that's true or not, but they've been saying it for so long. Um, one you know, is inclined to, to think it's probably true. But just for the psychological lift to the city is an event like Artscape, which it, at some points has, has you know, drawn nearly 350,000 people coming to the city, walking mm -hmm. around, enjoying what's what, you know, this this three day festival of creatives. Um, is that alone worth continuing it and doing it, you know, I mean, sort of outside of the creative community. No, I understand. I mean, Artscape is definitely a destination. Artscape is definitely a destination. 
Um, it's something that has been has branded this, this city of Baltimore. And so it's definitely, I mean, I performed there. I remember winning Billie Holiday vocal competition, God, in 1998 and having a chance to perform there. You were 12. I was 12, thank you. <laughs> and um, and then going back again and performing, you know, with my band and then doing solo. So it's opportunity also for local artists, upcoming performing artists specifically, to get a chance to perform. But once again, it's about who is behind the scene that dictates the energy and the integrity of an organization or an event. So if people who are booking, it's about who's booking, who's planning, who's on the team that dictates takes the integrity of the um, event but the event itself is very important like you said it gets really hot or it's really you know it's rainy but it's something that people look forward to you get to see really large artists there's multiple stages but as Jeannie shared as well just making sure that local artists are not having I mean we work with local artists as well as an organization and so just making sure the application fee is not so high for local artists maybe and just some different you know um, different um, recommendations that can be considered from the art sector specifically artists themselves um, to share recommendations and I'm both I'm an arts administrator and an artist, but just kind of give an insight on what we're feeling. And I think that's a good, smart check. And they did, BOPA did some check-ins during COVID a little bit. They had, you know, different surveys and everything, but it's not, you know, to be able to do campaigns and organize and takes a lot more lifting than people realize. As an organization, the Youth Resilience Institute, we do organizing. We train young people in organizing. We work with elders in that. And we're from a lineage, both phenomena of organizers. And it takes a lot more work than people realize. Not a nine to five, chill, drink your coffee kind of situation. It takes all hands on deck and you have to be able to work with everyone. So, yeah. Yeah. And Maggie uh, Villegas, the the um, responsibility to be an arts council and to dispense funds to creatives um, requires uh, a really uh, trained, erudite kind of group of people to make those decisions. Um, the, Mar- the, the Maryland State Arts Council has peer-reviewed panels. They bring in people mm-hmm. from all sorts of different artistic disciplines to uh, evaluate applications from people in disciplines they know about. So the personnel part of it is really important. Um, and the philosophy of how they're going to disperse this money is really important. What what are some of the guidelines that would really need to be in place for that process to be equitable and to be good? I think it's really important to put people in those decision-making roles that have been on the other side of any one of those experiences. The reality is that a lot of times these kinds of grant programs have barriers that are really high and challenging uh, and actually keep people from being able to access the funding. Uh, And so really making sure that the folks that are involved in designing what the grant application looks like, what kinds of questions are being asked, what kinds of reporting requirements are being demanded of people, are they realistic for the amount of money that is being dispersed? How quickly are you Uh, getting from an application to a decision to actually getting the check in hand is a very, that timeline is something that is very important to consider as well. And I think that there also needs to be some, you know, awareness and navigation about where the source of those funds come from and transparency uh, up front. If someone gets a grant, um, that that source of funding may impact how easy it it is to even receive that funding or uh, report on that funding and just be, being a partner with any grantee, I think is really critical. Um, I think trust has to exist. I think that there has to be some parameters around um, 
around making sure that there aren't any kinds of, you know, retaliatory practices around grants or anything like that. It's a it's a very nuanced thing. And the reality is that the, the organizations that are applying for funding, the artists that are applying for funding are doing so uh, because they need it. Um, and then the dollars that are on the table are often not in line with the amount of labor that it takes to actually receive the funds. And Jeannie Howe, um, uh, in full disclosure, when it comes to the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance, I used to serve on the board. I was the chair of the board back in the day. Um, so I'm certainly aware of, you know, the, the challenges that your organization faces in terms of, uh, you know, herding the chickens that is the, <laughs> that is the arts community here in town. Um, because there are, you know, different size organizations with different agendas, with different needs, um, with different uh, uh, missions. Um, but, but uh, for example, in, in her letter to the mayor, Marianne Mears said um, that uh, she looked to the example of Boston. Uh, and in Boston, the two functions, the Arts Council function and the events producing functions, were uh, combined, much the way that uh, happened here in Baltimore during the O'Malley administration. And ultimately, they decided to separate them again. So they started separate, they combined them, and then they said, nope, the, it's a better move to separate them. Is there a need for some overarching, I mean, given the fact that these two functions are, are disparate and different, the Arts Council part of it and the uh, promotion part, but is there a need for an overarching, uh, uh, you know, uh, entity that keeps an eye on all of it? Um so uh, my, I'm listening. Sorry, I'm just like my, my my brain is buzzing about some of the things that Maggie was saying too, and just mm -hmm. this conversation about the Arts Council. And I'm, but as I answer that, I'm going to say I think one of the important things to do in thinking about the Arts Council is to actually look at all the magnitude of what they do and what they are expected to accomplish. The grant making is a very important part of it, but they are responsible for the Public Art Commission, the One Percent for Art, and they need to be an internal. If they are this city's arts agency, which although they are a nonprofit, they have been designated. Um, now we have this new position in the mayor's office, which was something that the transition team wanted to see. Um, as that strategy is built, having someone there is going to be tremendously helpful, but we need advocacy there um, for things like 1% for art, because this is a requirement that as new buildings are developed, that there actually is money coming in, and, and it just has not been enforced. So that's just one example. Um, I think, And that legislation was passed a while ago. A long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so having that rapport, having um, being on the, the mayor's cabinet, and being able to pull the levers that actually make that happen are extremely important. My feeling is that there probably still does need to be some coordination entity around the events that's related to the Arts Council or is uh, is attached to the arts in some way because once again I think we really have to keep an eye on how uh, on strategy and how the money flows because if uh, as has been tossed around the idea of giving that money out to disparate agencies this is not their priority uh -uh. and and that takes us even further away from having a strategy which quite frankly I'm hearing from the corporate community is one of the things that they would like to see to know a year or two in advance what they're going to be asked to support. And then I think we start looking at how those things all hang together in ways like how do they impact the artists and how do they impact organizations. Um, so so I uh, my sense is that they really need to be attached, but all of that, and I know I keep like beating this horse about strategy and it's, it's a big word for you know us to think about in Nebulous, but to have um, a look at what we're doing overall and to really be, um, you know, 
Gboba has been a, a, um, an events machine. Uh-huh. Um, that machine doesn't exist anymore within the organization because of the staffing changes during the new administration and also as a result of the pandemic. But you need an, uh, you need to be able to flex that muscle to get those things done. But it really can't happen in a vacuum. Um, it it really needs to be associated with an overall plan. And um, and I also encourage people to think about the fact that BOPA in their events um, responsibilities also has things like the farmers market and parades. So this is you know this is a huge area of responsibility. And again, a great opportunity to look at how they hang together. They help to meet the um, the the pillars of the mayor's priorities, um, and they're really seen as integral in terms of their uh, interaction with other city agencies and city objectives. But they are understood for the tremendous impact and the tremendous contribution they make. And so so we really capitalize on that. I mean, all you have to do right now is look at how the city is promoting itself through um, Visit Baltimore. And it has been for over a year, maybe several years, that they have been featuring most highly arts and culture events and the, the, the art scene here. So there is a sense of value for that, but we have to make that translate into being a, being a partner at the table and also in the conversations about uh, about financing. And there's a lot, there's a lot of, of really important conversations and important activities. And this is not navel gazing. We don't want to spend all our time in meetings. Everybody's done that. <laughs> but, you know, figure out a way right now to make this really live up to its potential. It's Jeannie Howe from the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance. <coughs> Navasha Day is here as well. She's the co-founder of the Youth Resiliency Institute. Maggie Viegas is the director of BCAN, the Baltimore Creative Acceleration Network. I'm Tom Hall. It's midday. We're talking about BOPA. We're talking about the arts. We're talking about what the city needs to coordinate the efforts to create or to support and advocate for the creative community. So, Navasha Day, um, I did speak with Brian Lyles the other day. Um, who was not uh, ready to come on the show and and talk about what's going on with BOPA. He is the chair of the board of BOPA. That's a volunteer position. Um, And he uh, did tell me that there is a strategic plan that they have just completed. It hasn't been released yet, but uh, we look forward to seeing that. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Mayor Scott uh, went to BOPA and uh, found a person named Tanya Miller-Hall, who I've known for a while. She used to be with the Lewis Museum, and and, uh, she's been around town uh, working in in the arts for a long time. And she is now about to begin a position as the senior advisor for arts and cultural affairs in the mayor's office. So Mm -hmm. uh, she was a a key person at BOPA who's now been removed. Jeannie Mm -hmm. mentioned that, you know, the folks who were uh, involved with planning Artscape are no longer on the staff of BOPA. Mm -hmm. So BOPA, I think, is in a in a really a, 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 a almost perilous place right now, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned before this is an inflection point. Mm-hmm. Um, where should we go? What should the mayor be doing? What should what could BOPA be doing? What would your advice be on those two fronts? Okay, a couple of things. I want to first shout out um, Alana Nicole Davis, who wrote an important piece in the Baltimore Banner about her experience as an artist at BOPA. And we have a lot of artists in Baltimore who can give insight and in, um, in about what they want to see as well. And I think that's something that's not included. We look look at like higher ranks, ranks of folk and their connections and people position themselves to want to be that person that go to when it really is about the collective. And so... Um, the mayor, like I said before, he has been, my experience has been, he's been very supportive of arts and culture, his staff, and specifically in, in disinvested communities. And um, I feel with um, 
with the new appointment, we asked for that. And um, I think we wanted to be more a part of that, actually, that decision. However, it's still about making sure that the arts and culture community is included within the discussion, decisions, the implementation, the planning of that. And that includes artists. So they were on the on the. Um, the transition team, there were a few artists, a lot of arts administrators, and there were some people I felt were missing myself, and I tried to include them in my remarks, people that no one ever thinks about. And um, and so that's something I'm very passionate about, to make sure we have all voices, not just the people you went to school with, or people who present really well on social media, but people who are actually who are actually involved and can give more insight to the importance. But also, there's an opportunity for the city to make sure they're lifting up artists who are up and coming. Like for me as an artist, when I won Billie Holiday vocal competition and got to a chance to perform at Artscape for the first time, that helped my career. Um, and then you have, then we can also, we must also not forget artists who are established in the city. There are a lot of us here and we're, you know, that has to be included. So it's like the up and coming, the emerging and then the established and then people who are, you know, who are, who are doing it. So it's a very unique thing. Like I said, Randy Vega was very good at doing that as an um, arts administrator. She was reaching, finding new people and then making sure she was reaching back to people who are established and just keeping that together. But it takes a very unique person to be able to do that. So once again, the um, making sure we're looking at the the skill sets of those we put in these positions are very important. And then to protect them, to make sure they have an advisory group that actually can give more insight and speed. Like the president has advisors. People help write his speech. The governor, our new governor, which I knew damn very excited. You know, they have people that write your speech. No one's just doing this by themselves presenting. The mayor has an advisory team. Like it's So we must, must have an advisory team for the um, anyone who is connected to the arts and culture in the mayor's office as well. And then as we're transitioning or, or moving or whatever is going to happen with BOPA and the city, there's more wisdom and advice from different places, not just the status. And I'm afraid that is all the time we have for this terrific conversation. (laughs) So I very much appreciate everybody being here. That's Navasha Dea. She is the co-founder of the Youth Resiliency Institute. And 10 seconds, Maggie, what you got? So uh, piggybacking on what Navasha was just sharing, we actually have set up a BaltimoreArtsDay.com, which is an intake form for any artist or resident in Baltimore who's interested in seeing uh, the future of our arts infrastructure shift. Great. We will put that link on our website so the folks can get there. That's Maggie Viegas. She's the director of BCAN, the Baltimore Creative Acceleration Network, and Jeannie Howe has been here as well. She's the executive director of the Greater Baltimore Cultural Alliance. Coming up, Jay Wynn Russick will review the new show at the Vagabond Players here in Baltimore. It's called Broadway Bound. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is your public radio. 88.1 WYPR.